Will you guys pray with me one more time? Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to take this time and thank you for for bringing us all here today, Lord. I pray that right now as I um, try to get this message out, Lord, that you would just empty me of myself and block anything that's not from you, Lord, that the words that come out of my mouth are from you, Lord. I pray that this message would penetrate our hearts and um, that at the end of this we would come out being closer to you, Lord, and having a deeper understanding of what your word's saying to us, Lord. Um, I thank you for this opportunity, and I pray that you would just bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're on Lesson 15, and the title of our lesson is Israel's Rejection is Not Total. So I just wanted to review a little bit. Um, I wanted to read Romans 9, 30-33, or maybe not read it, but just talk about... Um, how the Gentiles, and it talks about how the Gentiles and the Jews have, how the Gentiles received salvation through faith and the Jews were stumbled and blinded by trying to earn salvation by their own works and their traditions, trying to keep the law, which we know is impossible to do perfectly. And then in Romans 10, verse 3, Paul states again how the Jews seek to establish their own righteousness and continues in verse 4, saying that Christ is the end of the law for everyone who believes in him. Thank you, Lord. And then Romans 10, verse 11 through 13, one of my favorite verses says that um, there's no distinction between Jew or Greek. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that was one of my first memory verses, but it was Acts 2.21, which is the same. It says the same thing, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that just brought me great hope. <sighs> okay, so starting in chapter 11, the first thing that Peter or Paul says is, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. Um, he uses himself as proof. He talks about how he, he's an Israelite, he's of the seed of Abraham and the tribe of Benjamin. And also in our study this week, it had us look up First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 through 16, to remind us how Paul saw himself. Paul describes himself as the chief of sinners, but he obtained mercy so Jesus can show long-suffering to those who are going to believe on him for an everlasting life. And that just was, I, I found, I found it really special how it says that it's, it's to show them who are going to believe. They haven't believed yet, but he's proved to the Israelites that God will save them if they just believe. Um, we know that God is able to reach the Jews, just, he just has a special plan, even using the unbelief like how he used the Pharaoh's hardness of, the, of his heart to proclaim his name in all of Egypt. In verse 5, it says, Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Verse 6, And if by grace, then it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. Um, in, this, in these verses, he's talking about how not, not the entirety of Israel is not saved. There is a remnant that God has... Um, Saved, but they've only accepted Jesus by grace, and it's not because of their works or their tradition. Tradition. Okay. I'm just going to get a drink of water really quick. Cotton mouth is a real thing. (laughs) Okay. So in verse 7, it says, What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained, and the rest were blinded. Um... 
It wasn't that God blinded them. It's that they were, it's not that they were blinded and then unable to see. It's said by God in Isaiah 65, 2 and Romans 10, 21 that all day long, um, have I stretched forth my hand to this disobedient and contrary people. So he's been long suffering with them. Like he's, you know, shown mighty works. He's, this, the Messiah was there, you know. Um, I was reading in James Vernon McGee's um, commentary through the Bible that he's been patient with them, and they're blinded now because they wouldn't accept the light he gave them. And he knows their hearts, and he has patience, but he also knows that the depths of their heart, and he sees the unbelief that they have. So he he has a plan for using that. So in verse 8, um, it says that God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see and ears that should not hear to this very day. Um, this reminds me of a trip that I took. Um, I was in Calvary Chapel Bible College, the Europe campus in Vita, Hungary. Um, I was only there for one semester because my boyfriend proposed when I got home. But um, every semester there's a main trip offered to the students. Um, this main trip for my semester was a trip to Israel. Um, and I just want to share that God is good and he provides, you know, He um, where he guides, he provides. And I wasn't financially able to go on this trip like two days before I was going to go to Israel, or not Israel, but to Europe, because you kind of had to have your funds in place. And then we had this going away party. And by the end of the party, I had enough money in my, like people were putting money in my pockets. And I had enough money to do every trip. It was just amazing. God is so good, and he provides. But um, So this trip, I was able to go on, and um, it was an awesome trip. We got to go to many historical sites, the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, um, Bethlehem, River Jordan, Jerusalem. There was a lot of good things to see. But one thing stood out to me. Um, as a child of God, I'm saved and redeemed by Jesus, and I walking these lands where he was, where he was born, where he was baptized. It was amazing to see. But what I also saw were the Jews, and I could see the hopelessness and the monotony in their traditions. And I have great respect for their their reverence to traditions, but between the elevators opening up on every level of the hotel so you don't press a button and work on the Sabbath to... Their, the Western Wailing Wall, which was, it was a great thing to see, but they're putting their trust in wrong things. Um, they were, they have, um, they just have this confidence in their history. And they have a great history, but it's not what saves them. Um, and God word, God's Word talks about this. Um, here in Romans 11, verse 8, and in Isaiah 29, 11 through 14, Isaiah is speaking of Israel, saying that the whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one who is literate, saying, I cannot, for it is sealed. Then the book is delivered to one who is literate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I'm not literate. Therefore, the Lord said, inasmuch as these people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, and a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of the prudent man shall be hidden. 
In verse 9 of Romans, it says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I was reading this part, I was like, man, this seems a little bit harsh. Like, ugh, trying to make them... Like, it just seemed like God was doing these things that just seemed really hard to, to hear, that my God of love would do these things. But... Um, in this verse, talking about their table being a snare and a trap, the thought here is that they're finding confidence in their feasting, like their Passover traditions and um, like what they did or didn't eat, like they wouldn't eat the bacon. Um, but they were, and they were putting their confidence in their abundance of of all of that. Quoting James Vernon McGee again, he said that the Passover was a notable example. The thought is they were feasting in conceited confidence. Conceited confidence, which was entirely pagan. Their carnal security deceived them as their true spiritual ruin, or was their true spiritual ruin. They trusted things they ate without any true confidence in God. And he says that, my friend, this is the condition at the present moment of multitudes of church members. Basically, putting our trust in works, going through the motions of this modern Christian life is what I call it, such as attending church, serving in different ministries, giving of your time and resources. These are great things to do for the kingdom, but don't ever think that these are the works that are adding up to your salvation. Remember in chapter 10, verse 9, last week, we read that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus, or if you confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how you get to heaven. Okay, moving on. I'm just going to get a little more water. Okay. Let's read verse 11 through 15. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those whom my flesh... And save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from death? And I just had to note, Paul and his rhetorical questions. Always with the questions. Um, have they stumbled but that they should fall? Certainly not. How many times has he said that? Certainly not. But he disliked that, and I think it's funny. We all have our way of talking. But... It was their misstep that salvation came to the Gentiles. And as the Jews see the Gentiles coming to salvation, it will provoke them to jealousy. And I found in studying that an easier understanding of the term jealousy, um, a word that we common, commonly consider not so great, like it's not really great to be green with jealousy, um, but seeing what the Jews thought was only for him, given to a Gentile should cause him to emulate or as the dictionary defines emulating, is to try to equal or to excel or imitate with an effort to surpass or or to equal. So they would see that and kind of be like, I want that. Um, have you ever felt that? Have you ever seen someone who is filled with the joy of the Lord and you just thought, I want that? It could be a mentor or a friend in the church that provokes you to jealousy or makes you desire to emulate them. Like you see them and you see their walk with the Lord and you're like, I just want to get there. Or I want, I want to have that joy. 
I would challenge you to think about your unsaved friends or the loved ones that you have in your life that don't know Jesus. Are you drawing them or provoking them to jealousy? Um, are you making them want what you've got? So many times Christians get caught up in rules and regulations, but unsaved people, what they need is a face-to-face with Jesus. They don't need a, a rule thrown at them. And, you know, there's a whole thing about being, you know, truthful in love, and there's a special time for that. But we have the opportunity to spread seeds of love, seeds of Sorry. We have the opportunity to spread seeds of God's love every day and everywhere. So are you doing that? Are you provoking people to jealousy? It's not about, it's not at the end of the day, they need to know God's love. And it's our job to show that to them. And, you know, God's going to do that work in their lives. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict them and draw them closer to him. But it's our job to make them want it. So that's just something I'm really passionate about. Making people want it. And then I think about Napoleon Dynamite where the guy was selling Tupperware and they had the like statue of the ship and the woman's all, I want that. <laughs> so that's how I picture it. <laughs> you gotta make them want it. <clears throat> so, changing gears a bit, Paul starts to expound on the hope for Israel because there is hope for them. It's not that, that they are just blind forever. Um, so I'm just going to read verse 16. It says, For if the first fruit is holy, then the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. The first fruit and the lump referred to here is holy because it's offered to God. And I was doing some more research on that because I thought, oh, that's confusing. Um, Romans 15.21 says that it tells the Jews to give the first of their dough as an offering to God. And that the root is holy because um, the root is referring to the origin of the nation of Israel, um, such as the such as the patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there's the explanation on that verse. So I'm going to go through and read Romans eleven seventeen through twenty five, and um, look at that pretty tree. I was just making sure it was there. Okay. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. And they also, if you do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree... How much more will these who are natural branches be grafted in their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. 
So I just wanted you guys to see this picture of this tree up here. Notice that it's not all one color as a typical tree is. Like when it blossoms, it's like a pretty light pink or whatever color. But this one has like pinks and purples and fuchsia and red. This is a painting by Sam Van Aken. It's called The Tree of Forty Fruits. And I was looking up, um, this whole section talks about grafting. So I was looking up grafting and I found this article on Mother Nature Network. And um, it's an article by Laura Moss, and she writes that this is the tree, um, a tree of 40 fruits, and it's a rendering by Van Aken of what it looks like in spring. And today, this tree is a reality. Van Aken is a professor at Syracuse University of University's College of Visual and Performing Arts. He spent nine years working on his painting, and now, like, through the nine years of his painting, they, like, made 14 of these trees. Um, Aiken didn't create them by um, genetic engineering, which is really popular these days. Um, instead, he used a technique that's thousands of years old, grafting, just like Paul referenced in verses 16 through 25. Grafting involves collecting young shoots or cuttings from trees and then inserting these budding branches into strategic points on the base tree, and these grafts are taped into place and allowed to bond with the tree, drawing water and nutrients from it like any other branch. But if the graft breaks, it will, if the graft takes, it will grow and bud in the spring. Kind of makes me think of the verse, verses 18 through 21, that grafting can fail. Um, in verse 22 it says, consider the goodness and severity of God. And um, he asks us to continue in his goodness and to bear good fruit, like it says that if you aren't bearing good fruit, then you'll be cut off. So, um, but thankfully, in verse 23, he says that if they, talking about the Israelites, if they don't continue in unbelief, they'll be grafted in for God is able to graft them in. And I just, I'm just really grateful for that, because I, I have hope for my brothers and sisters that are Jewish. I want them to come to know my Jesus. Um... In verse 24, Paul says, If you were cut out of the olive tree that is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will those who are natural be grafted into their own tree? So he's, like, his desire is for all to be saved, but at, at the time, because of their unbelief, they were blinded, and then that's why it came to the Gentiles. And then he has a plan for using that. Like, it's going to provoke them to jealousy, like we talked about. So, and I just wanted to share it because I love pretty girly colors. I have two boys, so I'm like always trying to find a little outlet of girliness, and that tree is just beautiful to me. So, okay, moving on to verse 26 and 27. It says, And so all of Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. So this is um, talking about a prophecy, just like the hope for Israel. They're not, they're not cast off. Like he said, has he cast them off? Certainly not. There's a plan for them. Excuse me. Okay. So I looked up Isaiah 59, 20, and 21, because that's where this... Um, what Paul wrote in verse 26 and 27 of Romans, where it came from. So in Isaiah, it says, The Redeemer will come to Zion, and those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them, my spirit who is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth, 
shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. The Zion he's talking about here is Israel. Um, According to Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible Commentary, Paul applies Isaiah 59, 20, and 21 to the coming restoration of Israel. So it's just, it really blesses me to know that, you know, he has this plan, he's using their unbelief, and it's, you know, for our benefit. But at the same time, he has a plan for them as well. It's not that they're just not believing. Okay, so verse 28 um, of Romans, it says, Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. So when it says that they're enemies for our sake, they're enemies in belief or in unbelief towards the gospel for our sakes, just like we talked about. Like they don't believe and now we're offered the gospel as Gentiles. When it talks about the election, when it says that they're concerning the election, that they are beloved, um, it's talking about for the sake of the fathers. At this time, he's talking about... um, all the times that God set his affection towards the patriarchs of Israel. Um, you know, how many times did he save them and draw them out of Egypt? Or, you know, he did so many things for Israel. And, and it's because he loves them. They're the apple of his eye. So, okay. And then verse 29, it says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And I, at first glance, I think, like, you could take this out of context and talk about like, oh, I have the gift of of speaking. <laughs> I have the gift of teaching and no one can take that away. But what he's talking about here, if you look in the context of this of this scripture, he's he's not talking about gifts of the ministry, such as hospitality, prayer. See, I had it written right here, I could have just looked. <laughs> He's not talking about gifts of the ministry here. He's talking about God's gift, the special gift of God's grace, that it's free and it's irrevocable. That one? Irrevocable. Thank you. I was saying it all wrong. Okay, so I know I'm kind of early, but we'll have more time to talk. Okay, in closing, Paul wraps up chapter 11 with a wonderful review of the truth found in this chapter. Paul quotes several parts of the Old Testament in this in these final verses, such as, um, we won't read them, but you can look them up later if you want, like Isaiah 40, verse 13, Jeremiah 23, verse 18, and Job 41, verse 11, to solidify all that he said about God's plan and God's sovereignty. One of my Bible college professors always said, test scripture with scripture. You don't necessarily need to go outside of scripture to see if it's true, because it, re- like, it reproves itself. And that's why it's important to acknowledge the Old Testament um, prophecies because they get answered throughout the Bible. And it's really cool when you take the time to do that. So I'm going to read the final verses of this chapter and then we'll be wrapping up. Okay, so starting in verse 30. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet now have obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient that through mercy shown you they also may obtain mercy for god has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all oh the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out 
For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So I would just encourage you, I feel like this chapter and a lot of our previous chapters have been really meaty, like really, I don't know, for me it's tough to see God, like I I see God as like this, he's, you know, the God of love, but he's also sovereign and he has, you know, he has the desire that you come to him with faith and that's how. There's not a side road, there's not this way or that way, it's it's God's way. And so I just want to encourage you, if, if these chapters have been hard for you to hear or have been difficult to understand, just know that he's in control and he's sovereign and he is just. And he has a plan, and you can see that in this chapter, that he has, he has a good plan. And even though we don't understand it, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out? But... For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. He's got this and he has a plan for them. So let's just pray one more time and we have another worship song. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you again for bringing us here. I pray that you would bless, bless your word, Lord, help it to penetrate. And um, I just thank you for this in Jesus name. Amen.